Welcome to Coog's Talk Stock from WSU Extension, a science-based podcast about animal agriculture for those that raise food animals, those that are interested in learning how, and those that want to learn more about where their food comes from. Find us online at soundcloud.com forward slash Coog's Talk Stock. Welcome back, listeners. This is Natasha Moffitt-Hemmer, 4-H and Master Gardener Coordinator for WSU Extension in Okanagan County. Welcome back to Coog's Talk Stock Podcast with WSU Extension. Today, we are fortunate to have one of my favorite professors from my time in the WSU Department of Animal Sciences, Dr. Amber Adams-Progar. Dr. Progar is an associate professor and dairy management specialist and also has a focus in animal behavior, which is what she will be talking about with us today. Welcome. Thank you, Natasha. I'm so excited to be here. I'm really excited to share some of the experiences I've had with animal behavior and just chat with you and your and your audience. I'm really excited too. And it's been a while since we've had a chance to catch up. So I'm just really excited to talk about this topic again with you since we've done it a few times before. Yes, I, I always enjoyed our, our, our fun experiences working with the 4-H youth, especially, and talking about behavior, everything from swine to, gosh, I think we even tackled cats at one point. So. I believe so, <laughs> but I think we had help from someone else on that one. Yeah, we did. <laughs> so I absolutely adore the story of how you ended up in animal science world. Will you please share your background and that story with our listeners? I would love to share that story. Thank you for asking. So I have to start out with, there might be a little bit of a twain of an accent that I have because I'm originally from Wisconsin. So I, you know, there's, there's certain words that I say that you'll pick up on it. So if we ever get talking about flags or if we're going to, you know, <laughs> How we're going to have some bags, you know, to put our groceries in. We got our grocery bags. Uh, bear with me. So it's a pleasure to be here. It started all off in Wisconsin. I won't tell you how many years ago, but I grew up on a small dairy farm and I loved animals. And so I, when I was, you know, a little, probably first grader or so, I, I told my mom, I said, Mom, I would really love a heifer calf. I want to raise up a heifer. And she said, No. <laughs> she said, if you want to be in 4-H, uh, we, we think you should start with rabbits. And I was a little, I was a little bummed, but I said, all right, that's okay. I'll start with rabbits. So I got two rabbits. I got the biggest breed and I got the smallest breed. And then, well, by the time I was a senior in high school, I had over a hundred rabbits. They were all different breeds. They were all different, you know, sizes. And, and she looked at me and she said, Amber, uh, what are you going to do with all these rabbits once you head off to college? And I said, uh, well, we wouldn't have this problem, mom, if uh, you would have just let me have that little heifer calf when I was, you know, <laughs> in first grade. So uh, I, I have a background in dairy farming, uh, grandma and grandpa's dairy farm, small farm. They sold off the cattle uh, when I was about 10, 10 years old. And, you know, we, turned more into a, a hay production farm mostly until I got started obviously with my rabbits. And before you knew it, I had rabbits and chickens and ducks. And I even showed my cat and I had you know, some beef steers and some swine and some market lambs. So uh, really diversified, but I ultimately, I loved animals and they, they always said, you know, you should be a veterinarian. 
So lo and behold, <laughs> I uh, went ahead and went to college in, in Wisconsin at River Falls and started taking my pre-vet classes and decided, you know what? There's this one be- animal behavior class I took in psychology and I loved it. I absolutely loved animal behavior. So I never applied to vet school and ended up going to graduate school to study animal behavior. And this is the part, everyone hold on to your seats. I don't know if you're in a tractor, a car or what, but hold on (laughs) because it was, I actually ended up studying lizard behavior at Oklahoma State University. I knew nothing about lizards. Obviously, we didn't have any in Wisconsin. And so I learned so much though about lizard behavior. And then I decided that I didn't want to spend the rest of my life studying lizards. So I ended up getting back into dairy cattle and and haven't looked back since. But uh, it was quite a windy road and a a lot of interesting little (laughs) opportunities along the way. But I enjoyed every minute of it. Now I'm here at Washington State University and I couldn't be happier. I just love that you went from rabbits to all kinds of livestock, then to lizards, and then back into livestock. It just is such a funny path of getting here. And I I love that background. And I wish everyone who meets you could know that because it just makes me giggle that you ended up in lizards before coming back into livestock. So we're going to talk a little bit about the animal behavior now. In general, how do animals view us as humans and how does that impact their behavior around us? Oh, that's an excellent question, Natasha. So one thing we have to keep in mind is, you know, every animal species is a little bit different, right? And so there are, uh, if you think, well, so there's some animals. So for example, cattle, right? Uh, Cattle naturally are prey animals. And so they would actually view us as uh, predators. And so when we're handling cattle, for example, it's a little bit tricky because we have to remember that the way they view us is a little bit of a, you know, they're, I don't want to say scared, but they are a little bit careful around us, right? They keep an eye on us. They're watching us uh, because if they're not familiar with us, they don't know whether we're a predator that's going to harm them or if we're safe. So that's that's a big influence, especially when we're trying to handle large animals, is trying to remember that the way they view us, especially if we're unfamiliar, can be very different than what we would expect. We can't just expect to walk up to them day one and be best friends with them generally. Generally, that is not the case. (laughs) (laughs) Except in some weird animals. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, Because if you think about, I always like to think back to my personal experiences. And so when I think about, you know, market steer, when I first brought that market steer home and I put it into the pen and I was trying to work with it on day one, uh, I couldn't just walk up to that steer and start, you know, putting a halter on and leading it around, right? Yeah. <laughs> it takes a little bit of time. It takes a little time for them to become comfortable and more familiar with me. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. We can't push push their boundaries and their fear response too hard at the beginning because they're going to need to realize that we're not a threat to them. Right, right. 
So we talk a lot about in animal behavior about the five senses and how that might influence behavior of animals. And specifically, let's talk about livestock here. But how do the five senses impact the behavior of livestock that we see? You know, it's it's so important to keep their senses in mind when we're trying to work with animals or even handle them. And if you think about and. I talk about cows a lot, so I have to apologize, right? I, I mean, cows, that's, that's my, my forte. I love cows, but you know, you could, you could apply this to a lot of other species as well. When you think about cattle, the way a cow sees is very different than how we see, for example. And so they, one example is their depth perception is not very good. And so something that is directly in front of them is actually a blind spot. So they can't, they can't see that. Uh, when you think about the blind spot that's behind them, you know, they have an area directly behind them that is, that they can't see. So if you're trying to approach an, a cow, for example, from behind, if you're directly behind them, they can't see you and you could actually startle them, which, you know, obviously is what we're trying to avoid. Uh, another example is hearing. Most animals, their hearing is many, many times better than ours. And so anytime that we are, you know, talking to an animal, letting them know that we're there, uh, we want to make sure that we talk quietly because if we're too loud, we could actually once again startle them or, you know, uh, cause them you know, stress, right? Uh, that's one thing that we also talk about a lot when we're talking about handling animals, especially livestock, is stress and trying to make sure that we're not we're not causing distress, which would be, you know, that bad type of stress. But yeah. all all of the, all the senses need to be taken in consideration because uh, they're so important and they they are different for every species. And the hearing one, I feel like, is often a misconception with people handling livestock in that a lot of people think you need to be as loud as possible to get livestock moving when they're being stubborn. And in reality, that's the opposite because they're already hearing it so much louder than we are. So being as loud as we can isn't necessarily the best thing to do when trying to work with our livestock. That That is so true. That is so true. Actually, uh somebody that I worked with a lot on handling, especially dairy cattle, uh, he once told me, and this stuck with me, that, you know, when you move animals, your first priority should be to try to move them just with the movement of your body, right? So uh, moving uh, in and out of, for example, a flight zone, you know, the flight zone comes up quite a bit. But if you move in and out of a flight zone or an animal's personal space, then you know, that ultimately, you know, that's the best way to move them. If you can't move them just from your body, then a second choice is to move them by sound. So that's where you would talk to them, uh, but preferably not too loud once again, right? Because then that could startle them. And then the third option is by touch. And that would be, you know, maybe placing your hand on their side or something along those lines to get them to move. But the first, the first option is always to use the movement of your body. 
Amber, that was such a well thought out answer. I, I really appreciate you talking about all those senses because they really all do come into play when we're working with livestock and we have to be keeping them in mind every time we're around them. And I know one of the things that I really wanted to mention too is um, I'm a pig person. I know you're a cow person, but I'm very much a pig person. And I love to explain to people when working with pigs about their eyesight because pigs have really bad eyesight especially the pigs with the floppy ears. They're awfully darn cute, but they have pretty much no vision around them. So that was just one thing I wanted to mention on top of everything you said is that eyesight and specifically pigs can be really hard to use as the tool for moving them or working with them because they don't see a whole lot, especially those animals where their vision is blocked by their ears. So that's just one thing I wanted to add in. I also want to talk a little bit about our safety when working with livestock. That's something we should always keep in mind, always be thinking about when we're around livestock because they can be really dangerous. And I want you to go over what some of the common signs of aggression in livestock might look like. Obviously, these vary between species, but if there's some just common ones of our livestock species you could talk about, that would be great. Thank you, Natasha. Yeah, it Aggression in, in livestock, like you said, varies a lot by species. Um, and I know, once again, I can speak a lot uh, from the perspective of cattle. I always think back to, you know, that first time that you accidentally get into a pen where there's a bull, right? <laughs> and, and I think about my the first time that happened to me and seeing that bowl, right, show some signs of aggression towards me, which included, you know, um, starting to paw at the ground, for example. Uh, you see a bowl do that, you you pay close attention, right, and try to figure out how you're going to get out of there. Uh, and bulls, they like to shake their head as well. Obviously, once you see that happening, then that's another, another sign that you probably want to get out of there. Um, if you see an animal that's starting to prepare to charge towards you, uh, that is also a sign of aggression. Obviously, you want to try to get out of their way. You want to try to get out of that pen. You want to try to avoid that because uh, you don't want to get injured. One thing that when we think about cattle, one thing to be aware of, and this could be the same as some other species. I, I can't talk as much on, on the other species as I can in cattle, but you know, we have this cute little calf, right? It's so cute. And let's say we're feeding it a bottle and it's headbutting because that's what it would do to a cow's udder, right? To get more milk out. Cause then it, that improves milk letdown. But you know, the calf's being cute, it's headbutting us, we're feeding it milk and we laugh and you know, it's it's funny. But then, you know, the calf gets a little bit bigger and now it's weaned off of milk and you know, it's a it's a heifer now, and she's still headbutting you, or maybe it's a young you know, steer and he's headbutting you, and it doesn't hurt you yet, and so it's still kind of funny, and you kind of laugh about it. But then all of a sudden that heifer or that steer becomes a thousand pounds or more, right? And now they're starting to headbutt you and it, it hurts, right? And so headbutting is actually a sign of aggression. It It's also a sign of play though. So that that's a hard behavior for us to kind of differentiate. I always like to have the rule of thumb that when I play with my calves, right? When I'm out there with the calves, 
I, I don't want them to headbutt me because I don't want them to learn that that's an okay behavior. Because when those calves become those cows and they're 1,500 plus pounds, I don't want them to headbutt me because it could hurt. So does, does that kind of make sense? Yeah, that absolutely does. And I think a lot of us livestock producers have those cases where we've let a baby animal be treated as a pet a little bit too long and then they turn into a grown animal and it becomes dangerous. And so that's something to always take into account because they do grow up and they do get big and they're a heck of a lot stronger than we are. So if they have those behaviors like headbutting when they're 1,500 pounds plus, it can be really dangerous towards us. So making sure we curb them early makes a lot of sense. Very much so. Hey, Natasha, can you refresh my memory? It's been a little while since I've worked with swine, but what are some of the signs of aggression in swine? So pigs uh, have similar signs of aggression to cattle in some ways. They don't paw at the ground as much as cows do, but they also will charge if they feel threatened, Um, specifically mama Mama pigs, sows will come after you if they're protecting their babies. They make a whole lot of noise, usually when they're aggressive. And you know the pig noises, the squeals and and the grunts and just being as loud as possible. Um, They like to bite, which is different from cows, (laughs) which can be really scary because sometimes they have sharp teeth and they have very strong jaws. Obviously, you want to avoid that. I always tell people, though, if you see a pig coming at you, and they have an alternate route, and they're not coming to you for food, you should probably get out of the way because that's likely a sign of aggression that they're coming at you. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Pigs are, I mean, most species have some similarities as far as like most species will charge when they're being aggressive, a headbutt if they're being aggressive. Pigs do that too, and they can fling you pretty far in the air. Even sheep headbutt, rams specifically, ewes don't do it as much unless they're protecting their babies too. But that's another thing to think about is that any livestock species with an offspring of some kind is more likely to be aggressive towards you. Even if they weren't before having a baby, they're more likely to be protecting their offspring. And you really have to be extra careful working around them because they can hurt you pretty badly. Even the sheep that look cute and fluffy, not quite as big as those cows, they can hurt you pretty bad when they ram you. You know, Natasha, that brings up a good point because I was just thinking, you know, gosh, when we think about maternal behavior, uh, you know, one of the rules of thumb that I like to have is you always keep the offspring between you and the mother. Yeah. Uh, you never want to get in between, right? You never want to be in between the offspring and the mother. So always keep that baby between you and the mom. Yeah. And that leads into my next question that I have for you, creating a safe environment. So we can identify the signs of aggression in livestock, but how do we make sure that we have set ourselves up in a safe environment when we're working with our livestock and making sure that those babies are not in between, are always in between us and the mom and we're never in between them is one way to do it. What are some other ways to create a safe environment for ourselves? Well, I got to tell you. Rule number one, and this is by far rule number one, always, 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 is that you have to have an exit strategy. Okay, so now exit, this is where that Wisconsin twain might come in. So exit, (laughs) I'll spell it out. 
E X I T. Okay. Not E G G, because that's kind of what it sounds like. <laughs> I know. I know, Natasha. I know. So, exit E X I T. You must have an exit strategy. So, anytime that you are around livestock, you have to know your surroundings. So often we don't pay attention, right? We get into routine. We're doing things the same as normal. And then all of a sudden something happens. We need to get out of there now and we don't know how. And so always look around and say, okay, if I had to escape this pen or this you know, area, how would I get out of here? Is there a fence that I can hop over? Is there a gate I could go through? What is my exit strategy? Obviously, Natasha, that is just number one. You have to know. Uh, we never plan for something bad to happen, but when it does, we have to we have to have a plan. Um, but you know, other ideas keeping the environment safe. Once again, like I, like I just mentioned, having some of those tools available, like gates. Gates could be so helpful if you have gates in the right spot where you could get out of a certain area. There. That's that's so nice to have, right? Um, or even if you you think about times when animals might get aggressive. So if you have animals that are in heat, right? I'm thinking about once again some dairy cattle. Uh, obviously, you want to know your surroundings and know. Okay, <laughs> I need to be careful, right? Um, we talked about bulls already and, and rams and, and how we want to be aware of what kind of animals are in that pen. There's a lot of times that some people might not be aware. There might be an employee or something that will walk into a pen and not realize that there's a bull in there. And that's not a good surprise. <laughs> that's a really bad surprise. <laughs> yes, very much. <laughs> and actually, working... Working in the buddy system, I know it sounds silly, but if you know that you're going to be in a large group of animals, try not to do it alone, right? If, if, if you have, especially if, the, if you know that there's a bull or a ram or if there's a new mother, right, in that pen, it, it, it sure can't hurt to have a buddy with you so that if something does happen, they could get help, Right. Because uh, the last thing you want to do is have something happen to you and, and there's no one there to help you. Yeah, absolutely. I always say the buddy system too, which just makes me think of childhood field trips, but is also <laughs> still really applicable because livestock, if we get hurt and we're in the middle of a field, we're not going to be able to call for anyone from where we're hurt at. And so we really need someone to at least be aware of what we're doing, what our plan is, so they know to check on us if something goes south. And some other things I'm going to plug for for pigs specifically is just using our tools like pig boards and panels and things like that, because those can really save us in times that we're dealing with some aggressive animals, block them off from being able to even reach us. Um, and that usually is a really good way to prevent bites <laughs> from some of those more aggressive pigs or even just getting knocked over because sometimes pigs get a little crazy and start running around and they will knock you over because they're pretty dang strong. So having things like pig boards is always really important to protect your body and your safety. You bet. You bet. Those Use those tools. Uh, that That's why we have them, right? 
is so yep. that we can help stay safe on the, uh, while we're working with animals. Absolutely. So you mentioned the flight zone a little bit earlier, um, but I know that's another thing to keep in mind when working with livestock, especially to keep ourselves safe. Can you describe a little bit about what the flight zone is and how we can use it? Of course. Uh, so the flight zone is actually kind of tricky, right? Because if you try to explain a flight zone to someone that doesn't know what it is, it's it's really hard to kind of conceptualize, right? Because if you think about it, essentially we're saying that there's this imaginary circle, right? (laughs) You can't see it. (laughs) Um, But there's this imaginary circle around an animal in which when you cross that into that inner circle, right? So you cross that line, that imaginary line into their personal space, then they will move away from you. And so that is what we'll call the flight zone. But it, like I said, it's a little hard to, to kind of picture because it's not as though every animal is walking around with this circle around them and you know where their flight zone is, right? That's <laughs> that not the way it works. That would make it so much easier though. <laughs> <laughs> it would because every animal has a different flight zone, right? Uh, we'll use differences in species. You know, there there's some animals, if I try to walk up to a beef animal, I probably, you know, they might have a larger flight zone, for example, than maybe a dairy cow, right? Uh, But that's not always the case either. In every group of animals, there's different flight zones for, for every individual. And so it's really hard to teach because I can't tell anybody, you know, I can't tell anyone, oh, the flight zone for every animal is about, you know, two meters or, or you know, 50 feet or 20 feet or, you know, I, I can't do that because it's, it's different for every animal. Uh, actually, having a small flight zone can, it has its pros and it has its cons, right? So, if I can walk up to an animal and they don't move away, that's good if I need to treat that animal, right? Or if I need to have some sort of hands-on with that animal and take care of it. It's bad, though, if I'm trying to move that animal, <laughs> yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. Because if I can walk up and touch that animal, uh, how am I going to get it to move, right? Because I obviously I can't use my body movement because I just approached it and it didn't move. Uh, I guess I could try to apply some audio, right? So try talking to it uh, to get it to move. I can't use tactile because I'm already touching it, right? And that doesn't seem to make it move. So it it's tricky. Flight zones are pretty tricky. They are really hard. And it's something to try and understand, though, because once you understand the concept of a flight zone, it can help you... Uh, know how to properly move in and out of the flight zones to move animals uh, and and use that to your advantage to move them wherever you're trying to move them to in a calm manner. And I will post, I have a really good video for beginners on, on low stress handling of pigs, but it talks about flight zones in there that applies to everyone. And we also have one uh, on beef cattle. So I'll post both of them with this episode so that people can watch those videos and understand what we're talking about a little bit more. But essentially that flight zone is just the the imaginary bubble of their safety and personal space. Kind of like 
humans where some of us like to be a couple feet away talking to some of us, someone else and some of us uh, like to be up close and personal <laughs> in someone's face talking to them. It totally depends on what we're feeling, but I'll post both of those videos to help help people get a better understanding of exactly what we're talking about here. Hey, hey, Natasha, do you, do you remember that fun activity we did with some of the 4-H youth? When we were I trying do. To, yeah, when we were trying to teach them about flight zones. Yeah, uh, I love that activity and I still use it today <laughs> when I'm trying to teach our kiddos about uh, flight zones and, and personal space. I just loved seeing those kids when we would get them up to be within a foot of each other. The looks on their faces always cracked me up. <laughs> no, it, it really helps people understand. So, I mean, the, the idea behind it is, you know, if you're far away from each other and you're facing, you know, if you're facing someone and you're far away and you're talking, um, you can't really carry on a conversation, but everyone feels pretty comfortable because nobody's in anybody's flight zone, right? Mm -hmm. And then as you get closer and closer and closer, it's it's really interesting to see people start to become uncomfortable, right? Because now you have somebody that's right in front of you and you're in, you want to take a step back, right? That's kind of this usually our as humans, if we if somebody gets too close to our personal space, too close to us, our, our reaction is to take a step backwards. And so I want to lead into, you know, talking about that flight zone. That's something that people have to remember, right? So if I want an animal to move and I start approaching them and they start moving, I then need to remember to take a step back because what you're doing is when you're in that flight zone, you're applying kind of this unintentional like pressure, for example, right? And so if you don't move a, out of their flight zone, it's a constant pressure. Does that make sense, right? So uh, if you take a step back, you're you're releasing some of that pressure. Yeah, Not, if some if someone's approaching me and they're within a foot of my face, I'm going to keep stepping back until they're not within a foot of my face versus if they continue to follow me, I'm going to keep moving back and back and back until they let up and move away from me a little bit. Right, right. Because obviously you what you don't want to do is is have them uh react, right? Cuz they can start to become really uneasy, I guess, because you're applying this pressure and you're not releasing any of it. And so, for example, let's say they get backed into a corner and they still feel that pressure of you being in their flight zone. What are they going to do? Well, they're going to try to figure out how to get out of there. And if you're blocking their exit and you're the, and you're the only way out, they can run you over. Yeah. And I've seen that happen a lot, even in animals with really small flight zones. I'm thinking of fair time when they get cornered into a corner in the show ring and they come charging out and knock whoever's blocking them in that corner down with them. Yeah. So it's that's a huge safety thing is making sure that if you're using those flight zones and putting the pressure on them to move away that you know to back off and give them some of that that space that they need in order to not get hurt. Yeah. Yep. Excellent example. 
That's a really good point. So you just, you already talked about this. I was going to ask you about tips for handling livestock, especially for those being trained for fairs and shows. So you already talked about just now a little bit about handling livestock, putting the pressure off, putting it or taking it off, putting it back on. But what are some other tips that you have for our youth producers when they're training their animals for fair? One one of the things, and I, I'm sure that if there's any 4-H youth listening right now or FFA youth, they're probably going to shake their head. But I'm talking to you guys right now, and you have to start early. How many times, right, do we put off or procrastinate starting to train those animals for the fair? I mean, I see it over and over. I'm raising my hand right now because, I mean, I used to do it as a kid. You know, I used to put it off and then, you know, you get closer to the fair and it's like, uh oh, (laughs) (laughs) I should have started earlier. (laughs) Um, But you, you really do need to start early. You know, we talked at the beginning of this, of this podcast about, how it takes time for an animal to be more comfortable with you, right? You have to become familiar to them so that they don't see you as a predator so that they can, you know, feel comfortable being around you. Uh, when we talk about flight zones, I mean, if you have an animal that you're, you're showing, you, you really need to build some sort of relationship with that animal so that they feel comfortable with you being in their flight zone because if you're going to show them, you're going to be, right? Uh, and, and so I guess you know, with that too, practice. Practice with other youth, you know, other people that are going to show, uh, set up like a practice show rain, just so that your animal gets the experience of being around other animals and other people. Uh, I got kind of a funny story. So with my beef steer every year, we would set up a practice show ring in the hayfield, right? And uh, I knew that at the county fair, for some reason, there was a soda, you know, vending machine right next to the show ring for the beef for the beef show. And so every year when I was practicing for the show, I would have my mom and my brother stand outside of the show ring and they would make noises, right? To kind of pretend. So my mom was the soda machine, right? <laughs> so she would go like, boop, 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 you know, try to imitate a soda machine and a vending machine. And then my brother would be a crying baby. So I won't make that noise because nobody likes that. Right. But (laughs) he would, uh, because there's always a crying baby in the audience. Right. So he would cry like a baby and, and my steers would start to get acclimated a little bit to those noises. Right. Kind of, kind of trying to get them to adapt to changes in their environment because most animals like most humans they like routine right they want day in day out okay this is my routine this is what i'm gonna do these are the people that i know these are the other animals i know this is the environment that i know what happens when you take that animal out of that environment and take them to like a show Oh my gosh, right? You've changed everything out of them. This is a new environment. These are new people. These are new animals. Uh, it's, it's a lot for them to take in. So, uh, you know, trying to get them prepared to be adaptable is very, very important. 
That's such a good example. I <laughs> I think it's hilarious that your mom pretended to be a vending machine so that your steers were used to that. But it actually is a really good idea. I Our animals panic when they see those things for the first time. The scales, the trailers, the show ring, the crying babies even. Yeah. And it's such a good idea to expose them to that before they go to fair so that when you get to fair, they're totally calm and you're not dealing with the panicked show animals yeah yeah that That was (laughs) really good advice hilarious but really good advice (laughs) so what type of research are you currently working on in this field yep so obviously you know animal behavior is my my passion and our goal is ultimately to say okay we we're going to use animals right? For our use. So for food, uh, for example. So what, what can we do as farmers, as scientists to help make sure that we provide the best life possible for these animals? And so the way we do that is we actually use their behavior to kind of test out different management practices and let the animal tell us which they prefer. So for example, you know, we've done some studies on, uh, you know, trying to test preference for uh, indoor-outdoor access. We haven't done this in our lab uh, recently, or we haven't done this in our lab at all. But some some researchers are looking at access for indoors and outdoors for dairy cattle, for example. And they, they look at behavior to actually say, okay, do these animals prefer to be indoors or outdoors? And that helps us build better management practices. In our case, you know, we've looked at some things like using behavior as a way to detect illness earlier. So hoof disease, for example. Lameness is a big problem in, in dairy cattle in particular. And so we're trying to look at changes in behavior to detect a, a hoof issue and then ultimately provide treatment sooner, which then leads to a better prognosis. So uh, that that's one interesting piece that we're we're looking at. We're also looking at handling. And so we're testing different things. It's interesting that we talked about flight zones today because we actually have a new study that we're starting that's looking at cattle and trying to look at their social hierarchy, uh, their age, you know, things like that. And then looking at their flight zones. So we're trying to, we're trying to draw some conclusions, right? As far as how, is there any way we could predict that maybe a more dominant animal might have, you know, either a larger flight zone or, or, or not, right? So that's, those are some of the things because we, we really do focus a lot on safety. That's one area that we focused a lot on recently is trying to figure out how do we handle animals in a safe manner because we want our animals to stay healthy and not be injured and we don't want to be injured as well. So, yeah, that's all really important research. And I'm actually really excited to see this new study because I know so many things influence flight zones like uh, breeds even within a species, between species, the sex of the animal, uh, how much they've been handled. But it'll be interesting to see how the social hierarchies and ages influence flight zones. 
Yeah, we're we're pretty we're pretty curious as well, obviously, right? <laughs> <laughs> Curiosity is usually what sparks that research. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so if someone wanted to get into a similar field, so animal behavior and do something like what you're doing, how would they go about doing that? Oh, you know, they're a good place to start is there is a lot of good animal behavior resources online. Right. So if somebody is just thinking, you know, I'm really interested in animal behavior. You know, I listened to that Amber chick and she had some pretty good stuff to say about animal behavior, which, uh, you know, a side note, that's one of my goals today is to turn everyone into an animal behaviorist. But (laughs) (laughs) you failed with me, unfortunately, as much as I like doing it, I'm not doing it full time. (laughs) Oh, darn it. But the rest of you that are listening, there is hope for you. Um, But anyways, uh, you know. All joking aside, I, I I think you know if there's someone that's really interested in animal behavior, going online, looking at some of their resources. Um, obviously, there's some really good educational modules and things to help help you learn more about animal behavior. Um, heck, you can even reach out to me. I love getting emails or phone calls. You know, my contact information is on the Animal Sciences website uh, under the faculty. Uh, I actually, I get to be the first one listed under faculty because of the atoms. So I should be oh, easy. I thought that was because you were just really cool. <laughs> well, thank you, Natasha. You're, you're, you're making me glow. Uh, <laughs> but no, it's because of the Adams progar. So I'll be the first one listed there. You can't miss me. Uh, but yeah, reach out. I'm, I'm happy to direct you to, to more resources or, or people that I know in the field. You know, animal behavior is not just limited, obviously, to livestock. Uh, there's also you know, animal be- behavior research and uh, people that specialize. And obviously, if you think about like dog training, for example, that's all animal behavior. Um, working with bad cat behavior, for example, right? <laughs> <laughs> Jackson Gal- da- Galaxy, I think yeah. that's his name. <laughs> yeah. So there's animal behavior even in, in uh, working with exotic animals and, and trying to enrich, you know, their environments and, and things like that. I mean, there's there's a lot of opportunities in animal behavior. So I highly recommend that if anyone's interested, go ahead and, and check it out. Awesome. And we'll post some of those resources with this podcast in the show notes so people can click directly on them and see what you're talking about. Before we go, I want to hear your best cow joke. Okay. So uh, this is a shout out to one of the the children of a dairy farmer here in Washington State. And so I'm going to steal. I think he is... Oh, I think he's four years old, maybe five. Let's say he's five years old. I'm going to steal his joke because I love it so much. Natasha, you may have heard this one. I apologize, but... That's okay. I'm still excited. (laughs) He said, he said, Amber, where do cows go on their first date? I have no idea. No idea. Okay. They go to the movies. Oh my gosh. (laughs) That's a really cute one. (laughs) That will be added to my list of running cow jokes that I'll be using for my students this coming year. (laughs) Thanks so much, Amber. I really loved having you on. I looked forward to this. It was just as good as I expected and great to hear from you again. Thanks for the cow joke and all of the great information and have a good rest of your day. 
Oh, thank you so much, Natasha. And once again, thank you to the audience and listening to this. I hope you learned something new today and uh, reach out if you have any questions or just want to talk about cows or animal behavior. Heck, I'll even talk about rabbits if you want. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Cougs Talk Stock podcast brought to you by Washington State University Extension. You can review, rate, and subscribe on iTunes or anywhere you listen. Find us online at soundcloud.com forward slash Cougs Talk Stock, where the additional resources from our podcasts are linked. Let us know if you have any burning questions or suggestions at Stock at wsu.edu. This podcast is brought to you by Hannah Browse, Sarah Drager, Dr. Don Llewellyn, and Natasha Moffat-Hemmer, and is produced by Connors Communications at Washington State University. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed by guests of this podcast are their own and does not imply Washington State University's endorsement.